Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. And welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. And whether this is your first time or you're a regular listener, thanks for being here. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get on with today's show. When doing the podcast, I love the opportunities that I get to delve into people's stories and to find out all about the experiences that they have had. I find that in someone else's story that there are lessons for all of us about how their career has evolved, the choices they've made, and the path that they've taken along the way. My guest on today's podcast is Mark Woolley, founder and creative director of The Electric Brand, which encompasses award-winning salons, an ethical professional product line, an education academy, a photographic and film studio, and Felmer Court, which is a farm in the English countryside. In today's podcast, we'll discuss knowing when it's time to go out on your own, creating a product brand, and the evolving salon business model, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mark. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm really good and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I get excited about talking to all of my guests, but, you know, uh, I've been doing a bit of research on you before we got on the phone and I found out lots of stuff about you that I didn't know about before. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm really excited about digging in and finding out your, your backstory, so to speak. So, um, I, I like to start off by um, asking, uh, let's, let's just call it an icebreaker, okay? And I've got, I've got four different questions written down in front of me. You can choose which one of those four you get asked. Amazing. One, two, three, or four? I think I should go three. Oh, okay. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> Actually, that's good. I'm glad you asked that one because that's, uh, that's sort of the one I wanted you to ask. Um, it's not a stupid question. It's this. Do you remember a time in your life when you had to make a decision? And in hindsight, it was a momentous decision. When you look back at it now, you realize that that was an enormous decision in your life. So the question is, what was the decision and why was it the right thing? Uh, what, want to be rock star to want to be hairdresser? That decision. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I, um, well, you know, get, actually, that said, joking aside, get, getting into the industry, um, I grew up in a, a small town in the north of England um, in Yorkshire, and even though I've you know, been in London for 27 years or whatever, my accent is still uh, very Yorkshire. And um, yeah, I grew up in a small town and I had gone into Saks, uh, you know, in the UK, which is a national salon group that uh, originated in, in the north of England. Uh, as a 15-year-old kid, gone in to get my hair cut and... Uh, I, when I was at school, I played in a, a band with some guys who were a couple of, couple of years older than me with amazing haircuts. And they'd said, you know, go there. That's the place to get your haircut. And, uh, 
I'd been a few times to other salons before that. And as a, as a kid does, you're taking a picture of who you want to look like at the time. It's normally a, a football player or a, a singer in a band. And I did that. And this guy cut my hair and it was, it, 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 it was better than the picture, you know, mind blowing. Uh, and that was kind of how I discovered hairdressing. That was a big decision to think, okay, jumping into that as a career, um, I can still hear my parents saying, uh, you, uh, you, you want to be a what, you know? And, uh, you know, that's, that, that was the big decision, I think. Um, but a good one. And I'm glad I chose, uh, I'm glad I chose this route. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, a lot of other people are too, without a doubt. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? That, that that link for a lot of young men, I think, that find their way into hairdressing. It is a it is a little bit of a toss up between: am I going to be a rock star or, or am I going to be a hairdresser? <laughs> um, so yeah, okay, right. Um, so let's. You've you've already touched a little bit on the next thing, which is I always get people to sort of introduce themselves in terms of their two or three minute backstory. So a lot of our people in the UK will know you, and there'll be you know some people in the United States that do as well because of your product brand. Uh, but for those people who don't know who Mark Woolley is, do you just want to give us your sort of, you know, two-minute backstory? God, two-minute backstory. Right. I am Mark Woolley. Um, my company is called Electric. So I feel we've built this family of, uh, of, of, of people with it. So I, our brand kind of goes across salons, um, professional products, uh, so products, you know, that we design for other hairdressers. And we're pretty, uh, pretty passionate about that. Uh, we own a photography and film studio uh, and a farm. Um, and, you know, as a brand, um, you know, I, I, we like to be seen as people who are doing things a little bit differently or, or innovative. Um, and we're, we're giving our people a, a fun environment to be, to be part of, you know. And I, I think my, my long-term belief in the whole industry is that, you know, teams and, and groups of people do well, um, you know, when they're constantly growing. Um, I think salons do well when people have, have been there a long time and they're constantly progressing. Um, so we try and create that in everything we do. I'd, I think that's probably the best introduction. Um, and the, the, the philosophy we, we learned at the very beginning with a, with a client in a chair and being happy, uh, we've tried to transcend that across all the other stuff we're doing as well yeah okay so so how many salons do you now have so we have in the uk we have we have five salons and we have one uh salon uh in addition to that that is a uh kind of creative members club shared workspace so i'm trying that i'm trying to not call that a salon so we're five plus one Okay. Well, that, that's really interesting about that shared workspace because I, I definitely want to dig into that uh, later on. So, you know, I know that you, you now have a footprint in lots of different sides of the industry with education, you know, with products. We'll get to that soon with running salons. Um, you know, you, you're sort of across everything. So, so how, how much of the salon side of the business is where you're spending your time at the moment? It varies, you know, it's very hard to define, oh, well, you know, 60% of the time we're doing this. I would say uh, prior to this uh, COVID disruption, the worldwide nightmare that we've had over the last year and a half, prior to that, probably 80% of my time was in the brand 
um, and the product business. I would say the last year and a half, it's been very evenly split across everything. I think, uh, you know, salons are obviously all about people. feel like people have, have needed my time um, more, um, you know, with, with, with everything we've been through. Um, so I've been very involved in, 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 in that in the last 18 months. Um, the products have probably been the biggest growth area of the business. So that's, that's why they've required more of my time. Um, I expect that time to, to increase uh, dramatically as soon as we start traveling again. So it, it does vary the time span. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is it, uh, do you own the business? Is it all yours or do you have partners? In yeah. It? Yeah. No, I don't have any, I don't have any partners. Um, I have, uh, I have some really good long, uh, long standing people. I feel that, you know, from, from day one and the first salon, uh, a lot of those people are still part of electric now. Yeah. Um, and I, I know it sounds a cliche and all, all of that, but I do see it, you know, like, a a family and a group of people. Sometimes people say to me, oh, why do you say, you know, us and we and our? And, and I think the truth behind that is I started my, my um, career with a brand, with, with Saks. So I was used to saying us and we and our. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I started Electric, which is obviously a brand and not a person, uh, it's the same again. So I think we're a tight-knit family. And I've, I've seen... You know, the, the typical hairdressing thing is, is that partnerships work because you normally have a, a creative person and then, you know, you have a business person that, you know, that, and the two different sides of the brain. The thing, you know, the thing I've really strongly disagreed with in, in, from day one is that hairdressers are constantly told that if you're creative, you can't be an entrepreneur. And if you're business-minded or entrepreneurial, then you can't possibly be creative. And, and, and the people, um, I think people have been told that, you know, throughout the whole careers. But I think if you compare us to uh, fashion designers, uh, chefs, musicians, um, you know, all those people can be both. You know, they can be, mm. you know, you, you look at the modern day rock star, you know, they're not, they're not drinking a bottle of whiskey and, getting stuck into the drugs every day, you know, they are switched on entrepreneurial people who are managing their own image rights and, and record deals and, you know, and how they get the music out there. And, you know, they're, the, you know, that, that is uh, the, the, I think the modern world. And I think hairdressers, I think more than they realize do mix creativity with, with business successfully. Yeah. So, so I, you, you do both. You're the businessman and the creative director of the brand. Yeah, not that I'm yeah, – when I say I do both, go back to what I originally said, there's a good gang of us that together all play our part. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed both, both things. I think some of it goes back to being trained uh, you know, early on and, and, mm. and looking at people I was inspired by. Um, you know, we, we spoke just before we came on, we, we mentioned a mutual friend of ours, Anthony Muscolo, you know, who I felt, you know, when I met him at a young age, at that time, he was probably widely considered as, you know, one of the best in the world as a, as a hairdresser and a photographer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, collectively, him and his brothers built arguably one of the most successful hairdressing brands that the industry's ever seen. And, you know, I, I think, I believe in, you know, creating your own journey and, building a, a gang of you 
to, to, to going out and achieve that together and mixing creativity with business. Mm. I, I often see, you know, people that have opened five or six salons and they're usually close together. They're usually in one city. Um, you know, uh, uh, another mutual friend of ours, Barry Stevens, he's, he's got, um, you know, five yeah. or six salons all in one place. And that's normally what people would do. But I notice that your salons are set, scattered around the UK. Uh, the UK is not that big, but they're still geographically scattered around. What, why did you do that? Is that a conscious decision? Well, I'm, I'm sure it is. Like, like, talk to us about that. Well, I now know that um, my, my, my petrol and train bills are, are, are bigger than Barry Stevens, probably, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, there's no, there's no right or wrongs. I think, uh, you know, you're right. Most, most businesses are in a proximity where you can reach each one quite easily. And there's a massive logic in that. Yeah. I think I, I had a, I had the feeling that, you know, being based in London and wanting to op operate in other cities, I thought, well, the UK is smaller than quite a lot of US states, isn't it? You know, so oh, yeah. you, know, you go to the States and you might, you might meet somebody who's got salons up and down California mm. um, or up and down, you know, any other, any other state and they can reach them quite easily. Mm. Whereas because the UK is a country, you think, oh, well, if you've got one in Liverpool and you've got one in London, that's miles away. But it's only two hours on the train. So I, I, I think I wanted to be a feeling like something that was national mm. rather than regional, but without this, you know, many hundreds of salons that I think we would have found difficult to control. Sure. And at, at five or six salons, is, is that where the salon size of your business is going to stop? Or do you have ambitions to make it bigger, perhaps to franchise or anything like that? And, and you never say never with anything. I think franchising, um, and again, there are no right or wrongs. There are only people's different people's perceptions and, and opinions. But having been involved for a long time with franchising, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's excellent for growth. Um, but I think, uh, you know, my, my personal feeling, it might be a little bit controversial what I'm going to say, but my personal feeling is if somebody's good enough, really good enough to, 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 to run that model brilliantly. At some point, they're probably going to want to do that on their own. Yeah. Um, and if somebody's not good enough, then they're going to damage your brand, you know, whether it's creatively or, or by making the wrong business decisions. So I, I don't think franchising is right for electric, but it's right for, uh, I know people who are, who are really successful franchisees and franchisors, and I've been one myself, so there's no right or wrongs. Yeah. I think I definitely don't want to do a rollout I definitely don't want to be salons everywhere and, and, and then you're really compromising on, on your um, philosophies and, your, and everything you're about. I think you lose a bit of the magic. Um, I, I, I do see growth, uh, but I see it in other, in other ways. I, I think, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways we're at the beginning of the journey, even though we're 20 years in or whatever, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, um, but yeah, I think growth, but not roll, not a rollout. Yeah. So you just alluded to the fact that at one point you were a franchisor, um, meaning that you you had a salon that was part of a group. When did you know it was time to go your own way and open your own salon? I think there were just it was uh, evolution, I guess. You know, I think uh, you know I, I look back at Sachs, you know, and and think. I remember when I went to work there, I was really proud 
to work there with some great hairdressers there. It was, it was a very creatively led brand. And, and due to that, it was successful. So it, it grew. I think when I joined, there were seven or eight salons and then there were, then there were 20 and 30. Mm. Uh, and, and, and at that point, there was still a lot of like-minded people. And then I think at the, the highest point, there was maybe 130 or 140 salons. And, and there was a lot of, you know, people doing different things there, um, different levels of quality. And um, I think creatively, um, I was kind of doing my own thing. I had my own little art team and I was in London doing a lot of session work. I was traveling a lot with Anthony, we mentioned earlier, and, you know, I was very disconnected from the brand. Mm. And I, I also felt the salons I, I had within it, um, you know, going back whenever that was, 18 plus years, you know, the sounds I had within it, I felt had their own identity. And I just, I just felt it was time to create something that we were going to be excited about, you know, and, mm. and uh, you know, like everything, it just, it, it evolves. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what did you, did you buy the franchise out that you had or, or did you go and open up another location and, yeah. And I, I went to see, uh, well, the great thing is we're still great friends now with the, with the, uh, surviving founder of Sachs and the guy that's mm. the managing director, you know, we, I've got a lot to thank those guys for, you know, and mentioned it earlier that, you know, mixing business with creativity. I, I've had long conversations with, with people that were competitors to the Sachs brand at the time, you know, people like Tony and Guy, and, and they were, they were bigger and, and more successful. But I remember them saying, God, I wish we sort of had a little bit of what you guys have where everything's just very relaxed. It's down to earth. You know, you've got people running successful businesses and doing the creative thing together. And, and I think them teaching me that, I, I feel like, you know, I owe, owe them a lot for yeah. it. So when it was my time to leave, we went and had a conversation and rightly so, you know, I'm in the middle of a contract, you know, I'm a franchisee, I'm paying to be part of somebody's brand. You know, so the first thing that came up was, well, you know, you, you obviously you've committed to us for this period of time and, you know, we committed to pay 10% of your turnover. So we, we, we want some compensation. So we agreed we, you know, we sat down and negotiated basically. I think I've seen people do it where they've gone along and they've all fallen out, you know, that, you know, mm. you've got the franchisee saying, well, you haven't done this and you haven't supported me and you, and I don't think your brand's very good. And, you know, so they end up leaving with a fallout. I didn't want to do that. Um, so much respect for those guys and gratitude. Mm. So I went along and said, look, no problem with what you're doing. And it's great. And there's some really successful people out there, but I want to do this and it's a bit different. And so we did, we did a deal. Basically we did, we, we agreed. They had one number where they started and I had one number where I started and we uh, took a few months and we got somewhere in the middle. And consequently all these years later, we're still good friends today. Good, good. Well, that's, I think I got, I think I got my franchisee and my franchisor muddled up before, but you got the idea. <laughs> yeah, I definitely wasn't. I definitely wasn't a franchisor. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, then you got one salon between one and six is quite a journey that seems to have happened quite quickly. So, you know, you knew it was time to open one salon. What was that decision-making process like? Was it always a goal that, okay, I want to get to half a dozen of these things and that you, you know, you had a real vision for that or did it just sort of organically happen? 
No, the truth is it, the reason that the reason it happened quite quickly was that um, my two two salons that are now electric salons um, were my former sax salons. So, um, and they are salons in Brighton and, and Reading. And Reading's obviously just west of London, you know, out by uh, Heathrow Airport. Um, uh, and, and for me, you know, that I'd, I'd got to the point where I'd managed to buy the freehold of the building in the Brighton salon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it made, it made it kind of exempt from the franchise or being able to demand that I gave the site back. So that was a good negotiating point for me. And I, and I said, mm-hmm. well, obviously I'm staying here We the team are all staying. And so I rebranded the Brighton and Reading salons. This is in uh, 2006. And uh, um, I also had a studio that I'd opened a few years earlier, a photographic and film studio that I'd called the Electric Studio. And uh, um, the word electric actually came from, um, came from what I felt the atmosphere was like in our own salons. I felt my salons were, were a little bit different to the other Mm-hmm. salons in the franchise group. And I, and I felt like um, we'd created a good creative vibe and, and you walked in and it felt down to earth and friendly, but a client was meeting somebody very accomplished. So um, yeah, you know, it was, it was good. I was able to rebrand those salons, but then my problem was I mainly worked in London. My clientele was in London, but I now, now no longer had a London base, you know, Saks had this beautiful salon in Covent Garden and they had another one in South Kensington. And so I could float around these places and, but they weren't mine, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I lived in, uh, in Marleybone, you know, so quite central in London. And I, and I felt Marleybone was villagey and, you know, everybody, everybody knew each other, but it was West end enough to, to, to say, Hey, here I am with a West end salon. Yep. Even though it wasn't very big, the first electric salon, it was it was in a good location. Um, so I, that was the the first salon I went out on my own and opened was in was in Marleybone High Street. But um, there were two ex- there were two salons that became electric via Saks in Brighton and Reading. So we yep. kind of popped up with three salons, and and mm. then uh, the other two were. Um, um, we started work with Harvey Nichols, you know, the only, the only consumer place we sell our products is, is we're in Harvey Nichols and they launched the product line for us in, uh, 2010. And, um, through that came, um, Hey, would you like to, uh, open salons in our, in our stores? So, mm. uh, we opened one in Liverpool first, which was a new site for them. Um, and then we opened one in Edinburgh. So, so the salon thing, it wasn't a, it, it, it looks quick on paper, but it was, yeah, it yeah. was a sort of a, a series of events that, that came together. And then I thought, well, we were spread out enough to have this story that we were a national operator, but only with a handful of salons. You know, there were, there were companies that were bigger than us that were obviously regional, but I just felt gave us a, gave us a point of difference. Yeah. Okay. So, before we start talking about products that you just touched on, uh, you, you also mentioned at the beginning that you have five salons plus another one that you're trying not to call a salon. <laughs> it sounds like a Monty Python joke or something, uh, you know, uh, and that you're calling it the space and that you're calling it the, the space because it is a 
for independence. So talk to us about that, because I think that's really a really significant moment for you. But I think it's also representative of what's happening in the industry is that there is a real shift. Um, I mean, I know you spend a lot of time in the US now, but and so you'd be very aware that there's a real shift into, you know, more independent contractors over there, particularly salon suites. But even in the UK, there are now something like 64% of hairdressers are now self-employed. So as being someone who has salons with almost 100 employees in them, um, Tell us about the thought process behind opening up this other space that is very much to cater for independent contractors and, and you know, what your thoughts are behind all that. Yeah. Well, firstly, I think thank you for asking that question because I think this is a really topical one. And I think, um, you know, everybody out there in our industry at the moment, it feels it's changing, you know, and I, st- I actually see it on both sides of the Atlantic as well, even though, in the US, especially from the Midwest to the West Coast, everybody, most people are independent operators. And then, you know, on the East Coast, it's a bit of a mix. In some states, it's, it's illegal not to be employed. You know, so there's a real, there's a real mixed uh, bag with it. My, and I'm just going to speak plainly and yes. simply with this because I you know, feel, you know, quite strongly about it. First of all, I think it is important for hairdressers to train the next generation of people, you know, and, and, and that is the bit that we have got to get together and make sure it doesn't die. Um, you know, one of my biggest fears going into this project was, Hey, if we, if we have everybody as independent operators, is everyone just going to be out for themselves? And is, is the, are we going to lose this like family thing that we have this team thing, you know? And, um, and then I thought, well, there's no point in letting a fear like that stop you doing it. You've got to, you've got to embrace what's going on in, in the world and you've got, to, you've got to find a way of maintaining your beliefs whilst, um, whilst going through this change. And the change to me is, is this. Hairdressers, you know, people who are already in hairdressing, the ones that still really enjoy it, know it's a rewarding career. If we're going to advertise hairdressing to the to the next generation of people leaving school, the pe- you know the people that made me want to leave school and become a hairdresser, you've got to show it as a credible career, you know, where there's a there's a good earning opportunity, there's a good fulfilment opportunity, um, you know, and, and we hear every few years somebody says, oh, you know, hairdressers are the happiest in their happiest in their jobs, you know, and, and, I, and I'm sure they are because of the self-gratification thing, you know, in an hour, mm. you, you, if you're doing it right, somebody looks better and feels better, don't they? So in, mm. in, in return, you feel better. Um, but I think you've got, it's got to be seen as a rewarding career. And the big shift I've seen in, in the UK and Europe is that the really top successful people now are their own entity or they're self-employed in some way. So you might get a, a, a girl or a guy who is a brand ambassador for a brand, and that gives them one stream of income. Uh, they might be running their own YouTube channel with education, and that gives them another stream of income. They might be doing, uh, you know, I think that when I talk to young people now, none of them seem to want to be 
banging away in the salon six days a week and doing a hundred clients, you know, and I don't, I, and I, you know, nobody wants to burn out. People are more health aware. So, so you talk to somebody who, who, who is successful. And, and I think they've got multiple streams of income. And one of those streams is salon work. And, but they want to be in control of their own destiny. I think, you know, um, I think people still want guidance. They still want inspiration. They still want to be taught. They still want to be part of some sort of movement, mm. but they don't want a boss telling them what to do. That's my, that's my feeling. So I thought, well, if we can create this platform and, you know, again, if I talk about what I've seen in America, I've seen some real success stories in America and, and people that have built unbelievable companies and, you know, and, and some of that culture is coming over here, whether we like it or not, you know, of, 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 of salon suites. And if you're asking me for my personal opinion, the salon suite model is a tough one for me to believe in because I believe it's not a great experience for the client, you know, because um, from what I've seen in America, you've got these big sort of warehouse type or buildings on a retail park or something chopped up into little units. And there's somebody in there answering the phone, shampooing, <laughs> cutting the hair, coloring the hair, mixing their own color, you know, and it's, it, it all sit and there's a, the, the, the sat in a, the client sat in a small environment. And I, I don't think that is as good as being in a, a, an inspiring surrounding where you're learning off the person next to you. And there's a, there's an atmosphere and, you know, so they're just my personal beliefs, you know, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. Yeah. So I thought, well, could, could we provide yeah. a salon feel where you're walking and you're greeted by a, a, a maitre d', you know, a great front person and there's a bar and a, you know, there's a big open space and everybody's happy to be there. So there's, there's, there's atmosphere. They're all learning off each other and they're all helping each other. Um, could we create that? And could we create that for independent people? Um, the first, that was, that was the dream, I guess, you know, and then we, then we thought, well, there's different tax laws here in the UK to, to, to that of America. Um, and I'd seen all this stuff in America thought, well, let's just, make a big salon environment where everyone's got a bit of freedom and a bit of independence, but let's tie it together with culture. So let's put, still put the electric sessions on, let's put education seminars on, let's, let's be there to guide people through uh, them being young entrepreneurs rather than being young employees, you know? So I believe you, you, you can do all of that. The tax system, um, you know, from what we've been taught is that, in the UK, if you are going to be a self-employed environment, the salon owner has to be pretty much the landlord. You know, they can't, they're not, the, the, the rules are the minute they're saying to you, hey, Anthony, can you start work at nine o'clock tomorrow and work till six? And, and by the way, would you please wear black? And, um, you know, we only want you to use this product. And, you know, the minute we're saying that, you're really an employee. Yeah. And the minute we're saying, uh, I'll give you 50% and I'll keep 50%, you're really an employee and there's a tax issue with that. Yeah, that's, so that's, we the, thought, same, that's the same in some state and definitely in California. You've just described yeah. the employment laws as I understand them in California. But the problem in the US, or not the problem, just the reality, is that different states have completely different, you know, laws. There's, there's a lot of variation in the laws over there. So, sorry, carry on. 
Well, I was just going to say the, the, the challenge for me was I would hate to be in an environment that wasn't a team environment and people weren't, you know, happy to be there and learning off each other. And so if it was going to be anything other than that, we wouldn't want to do it. Mm. Um, One of the places I've always dropped into when I've been in the States on the East coast is uh, the house of Bumble in New York. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I I've taken bits of inspiration from other, other product lines, you know, and we'll come to products later, but you know, they, they built this house, you know, of, you know, um, great hairdressers in there and, 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 and in the day, Michael Gordon had put together a sort of collective of great session hairdressers that, that mm. gave them a place to do the clients. And I thought, well, no one's really done that yet in England with this independent platform. Mm. Um, and then I thought, well, we've learned, we know how to run a studio because we've run what we've owned one for 20 years. So we, we, when we shoot everything in there, we rent it out to loads of different types of photographers. So, you know, one minute there's a food catalog being shot in there, or one minute it's a fashion thing or the, you know, the, the hair things and, and all sorts of stuff, still life. So I thought, well, if I acquire this big building, it's got to pay for itself. So one floor is a photographic studio and we run that as an independent business, you know, and you come down the next floor um, it's, it's called the drawing room. And this, this electric space is set up like a British townhouse. You know, it's, I wanted it to have a strong identity, you know, that, that sits with the brand. So it's a townhouse. The next floor down is called the drawing room and it's a 17 chair salon, but with very individualized spaces. Um, you know, it, it feels warm and welcoming. It's all centered around the client experience. You come down a floor from that and we've got a club floor called the Rathbone Suite, um, it's tables and chairs and sofas, you know, you would feel a bit like you're in Soho house. You can order a drink from the bar. You can, you know, um, so, so if a hairdresser wants to meet the client and have lunch with them, they can, if they want to meet a journalist from a magazine, they can, if they want to do an interview or, you know, they want to meet the bank manager, they can, you know, they, they've got a, a members club environment to do that. Um, we hire it out for press days as well. Um, the next floor down, there's another salon space called the atrium. All of the furniture in there is designed to collapse and move away and, and it can turn into an event space. We've got a bar, uh, obviously being English, that's very important, you know, a bar, um, you know, so yeah. <laughs> we've got, uh, you know, and, and, and through the day, it's an organic juice bar and at night we're fully licensed. So you can, you know, you can get stuck in, you know, and, and, um, We've got a private cinema in the basement. We've got, so it's this, it's this multi-purpose event space. And ultimately the business arrangement is we, we are the landlord and uh, um, the person is, whether they're a hairdresser, a photographer, um, somebody who's, we've got a couple of advertising executives that have joined as members. Um, you know, they are paying to be there and then they're, they're purchasing the add-on services of that, of that place. So that's the business arrangement, you know, and that satisfies HMRC who are, you know, like the same as the IRS in the US, you know, they're, they're, they're our tax collectors. So um, we're, we're playing by their rules because I think in any change of um, um, culture, which hairdressing is going through at the moment, there will be, I think over the next couple of years, um, some, some investigations that HMRC will do as to why, why they're receiving less VAT, you know, our, our sales mm. tax here. Yeah. Uh, and we want to be on the right side of that. You know, we've, we've tried to build every business we're involved with for the long term. And, uh, 
you know, that's, that's the first arrangement. But then the second arrangement is how do we make it feel like a salon? So we're not just the landlord and the renter and the, you know, mm. um, so with all that, the add on things so that, you know, we, we, uh, we're not allowed to provide trainees. That's one important thing. So that's a tax thing. So we, we, we are promoting this experience where the hairdresser spends the entire time with their client, you know, they shampoo it, they do it, they blow dry it, they do everything. And I think they, instead of apologizing for that, they should be charging a premium for that. You know, mm. um, I think that's great service yeah. and that's the future. And, and they're all self-employed. Yeah, they are. They are. Right. They, and yeah. so they, what, and the, the, they work out of their full time or they rent by the hour or by the day or how does that, how does that sort of work? Well, they, the ideal arrangement for us is somebody is there full time because, as we said at the beginning, I think the, the key of a successful salon is longevity. You know, clients want to come back and see the same person. So, mm. you know, we, we, we make it an advantage for them to be there full time. We're trying to build a long-term team and a family. Um, we have got these kind of out-of-town memberships as well because there are lots of prominent hairdressers in the UK that, that, you know, they might be based in Cardiff or they might be based in Newcastle or Manchester. And we want to give them a London base to, to be there. So there are people that might be there one or two days a month, but ultimately the core people are, are, are running their, their business from there. So it's, yeah, for us, it's been building the environment. We're learning about it. It, it only opened on April the 12th, uh, which is when sounds were allowed to open again here after COVID. And uh, I... I acquired the building last October with a lot of building work going on and fit out and, you know, all that stuff. But I'd love you to come and see it when you're in town, you know, oh, and I know. I'm looking probably, forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, I know you've, so, you've got this be beautiful place and you sort of, you, you just don't want to leave now, do you? You know, after, after, you know, COVID you've been there all this time, you're thinking, right, I'm not, I'm never going to London again, but, um, but I would love I would love to invite you in and, and uh, you know, and, and, and show you. Well, I would, I'd recommend to all the listeners to check it out online, first of all. Uh, it's very impressive, and uh, I'm glad I'm not paying the rent uh, on it. Um, <laughs> you know, a five-storey building in the West End of London is a, is a serious commitment. So yeah. uh, I, I, I take my hat off to you. But um, that, that sort of segues perfectly into your next project, as if you didn't have enough to do, uh, which is this product line that you have. So, yeah. what, you know, tell me about the day that you, you woke up and decided that the world needs another professional product line. <laughs> what, was, what was that all about? Um, right. Because, it's uh, again, it's like everything you do, it's – it's bigger and better. It's very impressive. So uh, I'm intrigued to hear the story on that. Well, you know, the product thing, it, it wasn't, it, I can, I can promise you hand on heart. It wasn't the usual way, you know, that, um, and the, again, there's been many successful people with products, you know, and, and, uh, um, for me, it did all happen a bit accidentally. I met, um, I used to do a, like an ambassador role for one of, uh, one of L'Oreal's brands, you know, been a longstanding you know, working with L'Oreal for many years. And I used to have to go over quite regularly to, to, to Paris. And uh, this would be, I don't know, maybe in 2007, you know, around that time. And um, I met a guy, another English guy, who at that time was a, was a, a chemist, you know, with, with L'Oreal. 
And, um, you know, I would go and, as, as English people do, go to the pub and talk about football, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'd be chatting away to this guy. And just a general product com- conversation, you know, I was saying that, you know, a lot of, you know, and everyone has the different loves and hates of products, but I, I was saying that, you know, somebody who was doing a lot of session work at that time, you know, most products, there was some sort of residue on the hair and, you know, you'd be told to use a product if you, if you, if you, if you're doing something to, to promote a, a certain product. And sometimes you'd have to not use it because it, you know, it, it, you, you might be doing a shoot that's all about this shine product or all about this volume product. Mm. And sometimes you'd have to not use it because of the weight of the product on the hair to, to actually get what you needed out the hair. You, you, you know, you'd have to not use the product. So I was, I was laughing about this, you know, and, and, the, and we got speaking about a certain product that, that he had designed and he said, well, that one evaporates. And I said, no, it doesn't, you know, it, it, you, you know, and no product evaporates. So we, we were again, joking and, you know, and, and, and whatever else. And he, he, he came back a few days later with a cream and he said, he told me the formula he uses to, to make a liquid or a cream completely evaporates. There's no residue on there. So we, blow dried this girl's hair with this cream on and it, you know, and it was kind of smooth and did its thing, but I was showing him, I said, look, it's still weight on the hair and that time you've got to, to, to make the hair move in front of the camera. You know, you wouldn't do it with this product on. So it just became this challenge. He kept coming back with this, this eventually this it ended up in a liquid form, but was completely weightless on, on the hair. Um, anyway, when, when, um, when he, he eventually moved back to the UK and uh, we met up, had a drink in a uh, pub in London and, and he, uh, he brought me a PIP file, which I didn't know what, what that was at the time, but it's the, mm. it's the inky list and the ingredient list and the method of how you make a particular product. You know, the, it was basically the IP ownership of the product, but yeah. it looked a bit like a certificate with a few bits mm. of paper stapled to it. So I said, Oh, thank you. You know, I put it in an envelope, put it in my, drawer at home and you know and then a few weeks later he came in for a haircut in the salon he said he said mark the pip file he said have you done anything with it and i thought it was still in the drawer at home and i thought oh he must want me to frame it or something and put it in the salon as a (laughs) so so i said to him i said yeah i said i I, i've got somebody at the moment framing it for me and i said next time you come it will be in the salon and you know and he said oh what are you doing that for and I said, well, you know, just to mark the achievement, we, you know, like 12 different versions of this product, you know, to eventually to get something to evaporate. And he said, no, no, no. He said, the, the, the pip feist, that's worth a lot of money. He said, that's the IP ownership of the product. He said, you've got to make the product. So we ended up in this, um, in this filling plant in Kent. There was a friend of his owned it. And he purchased some raw materials and, and ingredients and, and some little sample bottles about so big unmarked bottles that uh, luckily for me at the time were white and I had a stamp with the electric logo on it to stamp on things, you know? And, and uh, so we filled about 200 of these bottles with a smoothing cream that evaporated. And I thought, well, I've been to the Coca-Cola place in Atlanta and they had their marketing story of how they had this shop in the 1800s, a chemist shop and everyone queued for streets, you know, to get this Coca-Cola and, you know, because it tasted so nice. And I think it might have had cocaine in it. But they, they, anyway, there was a big queue, at, you know, <laughs> around several streets. 
So I thought, well, if I could just get a big queue down Marleybone High Street, the smoothing cream that evaporated on your hair, a queue formed by session hairdressers, obviously, you know, idealism and, you know, yeah. and uh, they may say I'm a dreamer, you know, but, uh, you know, I thought, I'll do, I'll, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like session hairdressers coming to my salon to collect this smoothing cream that's better than anyone else's. It'll have the electric logo on it. And that's, that's, I still wasn't thinking about making a product line. I just thought that would be cool, you know? And anyway, consequently, we did have quite a few session hairdressers who loved it, who said, oh, this is brilliant, you know? So I would, I basically handed it out to people, you know? And then these 200 bottles were, were, were gone. I spent a bit more time with him and he'd been in his former practice he'd been working on some technology that was good at protecting colored hair in a very good conditioner for colored hair that kind of locked in permanent color molecules and there were and at that time there was sulfate and paraben free which was kind of groundbreaking you know in, in whenever that was 2009 probably by now and um so we, we ended up with a color shampoo a color conditioner a smoothing cream and then we had a prep spray that was basically a, a, a um, a lighter version of the smoothing cream that would work as a reconstructor. So with four products, I'm having I had Daniela Rinaldi in the salon one day, who was the um, CEO of Harvey Nichols. And I was telling her all about my product making, you know, experiments and my little trips down to a filling place in Kent with my chemist. And, you know, and uh, we were doing a few things then that, that have become cool now, you know, um, that we didn't know. So, uh, um, you know, we, we ended up with, with four products. We launched the product line and that was how we, that was how we got into it. And, uh, but that, that whole thing of sourcing your own material, raw materials and ingredients and being cruelty free and all that came about then simply because we were phoning up and, and ordering the, 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 the things from uh, suppliers and, we're still doing the same thing today, but that's led to us having a farm now and growing some of our own ingredients. And, you know, so what, what the, the, the punchline, I guess, is a lot of it happened by accident, but we, you know, we're very, you know, we've become very passionate about it. Uh, and I keep telling anyone who will listen with a craft brewer of the professional hair market and we're the only people who can listen to feedback and we can change those formulas at the drop of the hat and tweak them with hairdressers' mm -hmm. feedback. And you still work with the same guy? He's been responsible yeah. for developing the, the line? Richard. Richard, yeah. I do, yeah. I, I work with him and I've got two others as well. So I've got a guy up in Northumberland who is uh, a gr sort of a green chemist. He work, doesn't just work mm. across hair care. He works across a few other things. And then I've got a lady in America that I met, you know, about five years ago. We started spending a lot of time in America and that's the biggest market now for our products, obviously just because of the size of the place. Um, but you know, we're in more than 400 salons in the U S, uh, which, you know, for us, that's, that, that's exciting, you know, tiny compared to some of our big competitors, but hmm. for us, brilliant, you know, and, and we, yeah, we still believe in everything we believed in then. Uh, but there's three chemists instead of one. Um, um, but, uh, through lockdown, we, we did four new formulas. Actually, I spent loads of time with Richard, who's the original guy and, uh, uh, post post COVID, I'm now just saving up some money to actually bring them out. <laughs> but we okay. finished the yeah. formulas. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you mentioned the farm again. I, I knew about the farm, but I hadn't really seen it. And before I got on the call today, I was, you know, looking at your website and the enormity of this farm that you've got, and and the barn in particular. Um, what is it? Is it like an eighteen an eight 
an 800-year-old barn. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's from the 13th century. I mean, this thing, yeah. it's a med- medieval barn. It's longer than a football pitch. It's massive. Yeah. I-, I was blown um, away when I saw the pictures of it. It was just incredible. So, again, I encourage people to go and check that out. Ah, anytime. And, so no, and, and not like all of electric, whether it's electric space in London or whether it's the farm, which is down there, Brighton, anyone's welcome, you know, and, uh, you know, we always, we all, we've got an open door policy. Yeah. So is it a working farm? It was, yeah. I mean, it is, it is in the sense of growing things and, yeah. and, and an arable farm. There are no, uh, there were previous to me being here, there were farm animals, but obviously they're a bit of an upkeep. We have got, We've got a couple of pigs. They're a pet of my daughter's, but we um, we don't really have any animals now. Okay. You know, so we're more into. Um, if you look at, um, I think it's in next next issue of uh, one of the UK magazines, Creative Head. They've just done yeah. a, a three page coverage of it for this That's coming fantastic. month. I think it's July or so. That you'll see all the fields where we're growing stuff. You know, yeah. all of that. So well, that's what I meant. The stuff you're growing is that part of the product line is that part of you you know sourcing and developing well, the, organic you know or, or, or am i being over romanticizing a little bit there? it's the, uh, the are you talking about the marijuana or no i'm kidding i'm kidding no the <laughs> the uh no it is yeah we, we are we we uh we harvest our own uh, absolute rose extract you know the rose Fantastic. oil so yeah, we're yeah. growing our own roses we've, you know we've uh we source a chalk compound as well, which, um, uh, you know, obviously in Sussex, you know, we're surrounded by winemakers, you know, our neighbouring farm here is Ridgeview. Yeah. Um, so the, the land's all chalk. So we, we've got a product that a chalk compound goes into and all that's sourced here as well. Yeah. Um, we're going to be using our own fruit acids. We're about 18 months off that, but we've planted all the trees. Great. Um, so, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're on it. We're, uh, yeah. you know. We're Good. growing our own, as they say. Good. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. I've always been intrigued with this. When you look at the world of hair care, you have L'Oreal, French. You have uh, Weller, Goldwell, Schwarzkopf, originally all German. And then you have all these American companies. Okay. So, you know, Matrix, Redkin, you know, and on and on. Paul Mitchell, on and on. That, that list goes. And then in Australia, you have brands like Kevin Murphy and uh, Eleven and Mr. Smith. And yet when you look at the UK, it's really hard to name any professional product lines. There's lots of high-profile hairdressers that have gone out and put into, um, you know, boots, which for our American audiences like your your Walgreens, uh, a line of products with their name on. But there's... A shortage, and I'm I'm going to say that you know TG was more American than it was than it was British. The question I'm asking you is why do you think that that's the case when British hairdressing is so strong uh, in the world of hairdressing? Why is it that there's do you think that there's never been a you know a serious contender as a professional product line coming out of the UK? I think uh, the UK pioneered that thing in the 90s of, um, you know, a hairdresser. In those days, I think it went like this. You won British hairdresser of the year, you know, like Charles Worthington, Andrew Collins, Trevor Sobel, all those guys did. Yeah. And you were immediately approached by boots, which were turning in, in, in the late 80s, early 90s. They were sort of they were in transition from being a pharmacy and a drugstore that sold other things to wanting to be into the 
you know, the, the, the beauty market in a big way. Mm. And I think they just pioneered that model and, and, and loads of people did very well off it, you know, and um, the thing to do became that, you know, and, and I, for me, that wouldn't have been right for me. And, and I think me as a hairdresser, my profile wouldn't have been consumer wise, wouldn't have been big enough to do that anyway, but it, that wouldn't have been with, with my set of beliefs. Um, I, I was always inspired by uh, what Bumble and Bumble had done. Um, obviously, I had first-hand experience of what the Muscolo family had, had, had achieved with, uh, with, with TG. They'd, TG, they'd built an army around the products due to their creativity and their education, you know, and that, that was one way Michael had, uh, with Michael Gordon, with Bumble and Bumble had, had, had um, gathered up a load of session hairdressers and, and, and you know, the product was, was closely associated with the fashion world. Um, I love, you know, I'm, I know the Kevin Murphy guys very well, you know, and I, I spend a lot of time with them in obviously their main business, even though they're Australian is based in the States. I see a lot of them and uh, obviously with them connected to is 11. Yeah. I've taken a bit of inspiration from anyone who's created a reputable professional product line. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think my my background is a bit more industry than it is consumer. Uh, the yeah. two cross over every now and again, but it's yeah, I believe in I believe in making products for hairdressers. Yeah, and, and the other thing that really stood out when I was sort of researching today is your commitment to all things British. You very very much try and integrate <laughs> music and art and design and architecture yeah. and and that British heritage into the brand, which is a good thing. Um, you know, as a USP, talk to us about that. Yeah, it's not, and that isn't me being a, like a nationalist or anything like that. That's that is. I think there's a bit of just things I've been interested in. I've always I've always loved music. I've always loved. I've always been really been into art. Um, you know, and, and I always think. Every, every few decades, probably like every country, um, the UK has its day and it had it in the 60s where all of those things were, uh, were working in harmony, weren't they? Art, hair, music, fashion. It happened massively in the 60s, British film, you know, designers, artists. And it happened again probably in the 90s, yeah. which was when I was in my youthful um, or semi-youthful years. And, you, you know, you're just inspired by those things. And I think when they link together from a hairdresser's point of view anyway, you know, when you can correspond hair with, with what's happening artistically. And, and that's, you know, going back to the Muscolos, that's the other thing I'd say. They, to me, the holy grail is this, and they're the only people that have had it so far, I think, in, in history. You know, in the 90s, you would open, uh, before social media, you'd open an edition of Vogue or any other national consumer magazine mm. there'd be an early right hand page of um it would be a tony and guy image but it would be the subliminal message would be tg products and mm. there'd be the the credits on there of who'd done the hair and, and you know and, and the, you'd look at the image it was right for the time it was androgynous and you know textured a bit re rebellious and, and you had the feeling that to get that look you would have to go to one of their salons and you'd have to use one of their products and i think I think Sassoon obviously had that in the decade or two earlier um, and they had it. And I don't think anyone's had it before or since that's, so that's, that's what I would like to strive for over the next decade, Yeah, you know, yeah. is, 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 is a coming together to create that. 
Yeah. How many uh, products are there in your range at the moment? Uh, we got uh, 13 products. Uh, right. So it's, it's niche. You know, the other thing yeah. is, a, is a, you know, our, our mantra is saying to salon owners, look, we've got all this experience with running successful salons. We want to be able to use that experience to help you. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, we, we find ourselves doing that anyway. People are ringing us up and saying, oh, you know, what, what would you do about this? And it might be a staff thing, a recruitment thing. It might be a tax thing. So we, you know, we like that relationship we've got with people. But one of the things I believe in is, you know, you, some, some product lines are selling it into a salon and the, the opening order is 10,000 pounds or because there's 100, 100 SKUs and they're saying, hey, you've got to take every SKU. You know, and I know as hairdressers, nobody needs a hundred products. You know that. Mm. You know that that's the product company getting its growth through bringing out more products. You know, I I I think you got to be upfront and honest and say, look, you can be part of something here that's brilliant creatively, and it's not a huge buy-in. It's it's um, and there's a there's an advantage for you as a salon owner carrying this. You know, it's not. Um, you're not just selling somebody's brand, you know, you, you, you're being part of something and you don't have to buy in a hundred products, you know, you can do yeah. it all in. We, I, I think, you know, with us, the sweet spot will be around the 20 ish product mark right. because there okay. are form, there are formulas. We're not, we're not in partnership with anyone and we don't, we're not committed to any particular filler. Yeah. Um, you know, we can, we can cancel things out whenever we want, you know, if, if, if it's not right to have that product anymore and we can bring out a new one. So that's my belief. As a, as a, as a professional brand, is there a point where you go, well, if I want to be a serious contender as a professional product range, I need to have a, a color line. Do you, do you think yeah. along those lines or? Is- no, I do. And I've been, we've been at the, we've, we've sort of been at the table with that a couple of times, you know, with, uh, from a few different angles, I've done it with speaking to globally renowned colorists around the world. Cause the thing when, when any hair brand goes and steps up and does color, they ultimately go and private label that color with a color manufacturer, you know? So they think, okay, we've got, 100,000 salons worldwide selling our product. We need to be able to sell them color and, you know, and that's normally their elevation to the next level. But our beliefs is formulating everything and, and it having a point of difference. So obviously formulating professional colors, far more technical than formulating a wet line product. Um, you know, would we just go to one of the proven color houses and say, make us a color line and this is what we want it to look and feel like. I'd hate to do that because I feel that isn't what we've done with, with, with the wet line. But then you think, well, you know, they're the experts, you know, in something that does require a real expert. I, I, I believe that. Will we do it down the line? I don't know. I know we've been at the table and we've had the conversations a few times. Yeah, it's, not yeah. for to, it's, not, it's not immediate tomorrow stuff, but, uh, you know, yeah. I wouldn't rule it out. And I, yeah. I, you see brands that are dipping the toe in the water now. See, you know, Eleven are doing it at the moment. With a, they've got two or three niche products, you know, that are um, the kind of color refresh products that they, they haven't gone down the route of bringing out a whole color line, you know. Whereas Kevin Murphy did, you know, a few years previous. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as, as long as a brand can get it right and and, yeah. and, and the colors 
the colour stands up and is good enough, uh, then then good on them. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This has been so interesting, and it's uh, I, I probably <laughs> I usually talk a lot more than this, so it's been fascinating just uh, sitting here and and prodding you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Not at all. Uh, I've been I've loved sitting here listening to you, and I've I've got a lot of other things I could have asked you about, but unfortunately we need to start sort of wrapping up. But there's a, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you about. Um, what one of them's about leadership and and first of all i want to ask you about who is the person who's had the biggest impact on you as a hairdresser or non-hairdresser like who's who's impacted on on you know the leader that you've become you know one of the things i've i've done through um and this this market's massively grown over the last few years you know i've read a lot of books of you know in 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 modern day times you end up listening to audio books biographies and stuff like that and I think there's people outside of the industry that, you know, there's a new wave of people, isn't there, you know, in the tech world that are, you know, that are doing things totally differently. But if you go back into the last generation, I loved what Richard Branson did where applying Virgin to lots of different, you know, ultimately that became a licensing brand, didn't it? But in the early days, they were a music label that were really cool. So they could apply that to something like an airline that all its competitors were were very corporate, you know, very straight laced, you know, I, I loved those type of things, you know, and I, although I've never met Richard Branson, I've, I've certainly enjoyed reading about what he's doing it, uh, the way they did it then. I think the nineties were probably their, their heyday. And I think the world's different now, but I love, I love some of the guerrilla marketing they did and the, um, and, and they tied it all together where you felt like you would trust the brand because he was delivering it to, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Loved all of that. Um, I love I love the you know the the, the modern day people that are, that are delivering that same thing. You know the real innovative stuff that you know people like Elon Musk does. He you know um, couldn't imagine having a beer with Elon Musk, but I could imagine having a beer with Richard Branson. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> so um, industry wise, like I said to you before, there's so many. You know, I think product yeah. companies. I think. You know, you look at uh, the one guy I wish I'd met, but I never met him was Horst, you know, the evader guy. Mm, yeah. You know, I think what a ge genius, you know, Michael Gordon, genius. Um, who else? You've got, there's so many of them. You know, we, we talked a bit about Anthony Muscolo, I think. Uh, just a guy of taking creativity and putting it in a a can, you know, that everyone, everyone can take a piece of, you know, that, that. Yeah. I thought that was genius, you know, so the yeah. loads and the, and the great thing about hairdressing actually is, you know, you can, there's so many examples out there, but everyone's quite open. You can phone somebody up and say, how did you do this? And can I have a chat? And, you know, it's, mm. you know, I mean, look what you, you've achieved, you know, and you've, you know, you great, you know, you've, you've, you've had all this with hairdressing and owning your own business and, you know, all of that. But then you've been able to transcend into delivering a message to people. And, you know, you've obviously improved lots of people's businesses and lives and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting industry to be part of. And you're constantly meeting people and you're constantly taking something from their story and thinking, oh, well, I'll have a go at that, try a bit of that, you know. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, thank you for that. That's a very nice compliment. Um, one question I'm intrigued about with you, I mean, I'm busy. 
I don't have six salons. I don't have 100 hairdressers plus 12 people in an office plus a product company plus a photographic studio, <laughs> a member's bar, a private cinema, and God knows what else. <laughs> How do you, what is the secret to your productivity? Because you seem to get a hell of a lot done. Uh, I'm a good list maker. Um, I never, I never seem to get to the bottom, bottom of that, you know, but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a good list maker. Uh, we've got a good team. I know that's a cliche, but we have got a good, we have got a good okay. bunch of people, you know, and, uh, the reason electric is called electric and not Mark Woolley is because of that reason. And there's certain things that people do that, you know, they're a lot better than I am at doing it. And, uh, you know, that, that's the great thing of a brand. Um, and I'll, I'll look, I'm going to give you a quick story. I know you're on a time limit. I'll just give you this. Right. So, um, when I was in the middle of leaving Saks, there was two people I was taking a lot of advice off, both iconic, you know, people that you'd really value their opinions. And, um, when I, you know, I had this thing where I had this conversation with both people, the two people were Trevor Sorby and, and Anthony, Anthony Muscolo. Mm-hmm. So I'm having this conversation about leaving a corporate entity, you know, that I just thought it's time to do my own thing. And um, both people had said to me, it is, it is, it is your time to go and do your own thing. And you're right. You, you know, you shouldn't be corporate. And, you know, so we've gone through all this process. And um, I was, a friend of mine worked in an ad agency and he'd helped me with the electric logo. I was saying, I want it to feel British and, sketched out this, uh, you know, crest, you know, it's got a sort of British crest and electric London and, you know, all of this. And, um, anyway, my friend had helped me put it all together. So after a little while we had the electric logo and he, he sent me the artwork in an envelope. And that night I was going to go and have a drink with, uh, Trevor Solby. And we we're in, uh, uh, Claridge's, you know, it has the Gordon Ramsay yeah. restaurant, you know, on the side. So we're in the lobby where you can just see the door um, to Gordon Ramsay who sat down having a drink and having a chat. And I said, oh, he's saying, how's it going? How's the decision-making going? I said, yeah, good. I said, I've actually got the branding, the logo and everything. And I hadn't said the name. So it's in the envelope. And I said, hey, you know, have a look at this. Pulled it out. And he said, oh, I can't wait to see it. So pulled it out, gave it to Trevor. And um, I could see by his face, you know, he didn't think it was great, you know? <laughs> so he said to me, uh, I said, uh, eventually nervously, I said, do, do, do you like it? And he said, well, can I be honest? He said, uh, no, no, I don't. He said, uh, electric. He went, <laughs> he said, oh, you know, imagine this, you've got your hero, you know, you've got, you've got one of your heroes, yeah, yeah. you know, he said, he said, electric, elect- he said, what does electric have to do with hair? He said, nobody wants electric hair, do they? You know, it was like, you know, so I said, well, no, but, you know, I said, but what I thought was it was this sort of lifestyle brand. And I said, I quite like the fact it's got nothing to do with hair. You know, you, you know, I didn't, you know, I did, I didn't fancy it being called hair something or other, you know? So he pointed at Gordon Ramsay and he said, what you do is you get your name above the door. You don't, you take, you, 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 you take responsibility for what you're doing. You take conviction and you put your name above the door. He went, he went, no, 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 this, this is rubbish. Don't call it electric. You know, <laughs> I remember walking back to my flat that night and it was, it was raining or walk as it always is in London, you know, I'm walking back. And, um, I was thinking, Oh, you know, I might have this very wrong, but I think I'd registered the trademark and, you know, reserved the domain name, all the stuff you would do. And, um, 
I remember the next day we seen Anthony and I said, oh, I might have this. I said, have a look at this branding. I said, but I might have it wrong. I might have the name wrong, you know, but just, you know, and he looked, he said, oh, I love it. It's great. You know, he said, oh, you've got it. Yeah, great. Love it, Electric. He said, said, why did you think um, you might have it wrong? And I said, well, I said, you know, I saw Trevor yesterday and he, he hated it. He said it was really, he said, he thought about it for a minute. He said, I hope you told him to F off, you know? And I, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, couldn't do that. You know, the hero, you know, one of, and he said, look, he said, and, and the point I'm making is there's no right or wrongs. I mean, God, yeah. look how successful Trevor was being Trevor yeah. Sorby. Yeah. Um, and look how successful the other guy is not even using his own name, you know? So mm. it's, there's no right or wrongs. It's just, and uh, you know, going back to what I said about the beginning, I, I felt with a brand, you could make lots of people part of it. Um, mm. And, uh, but, you know, look, not, not to say it's, it's, it's incorrect to do it the other way, but I thought that was a good story to end with. Um, yeah, and it worked, it worked out perfect. all right as well. Yeah, exactly. It has worked out all right and continues to evolve. And um, it's unfortunate that we've got to uh, wrap up, but um, it gives me an excuse to get you back on again at another point because I've got so love many it. things that I'd love to ask you about. So we'll wait a little bit, wait a few months, and then we'll get you back again because uh, you are a, a fountain of uh, information and wisdom, and it's great you're so open to uh, to sharing it with our listeners. So whereabouts can people you know, find out more about you. Where can they connect with you on Instagram or your website address or other yes. social media channels? Well, I tell you what. So on Instagram, I am Mark Woolley one, the number one, and uh, Woolley is W double O double L E Y double everything basically. Um, so yeah, Mark Woolley one. Electric. Uh, our main uh, site is Electric underscore London. That's our, that's our global platform. And, uh, yeah, I'm always, I connect with loads of hairdressers and anyone's got any questions, anyone, you know, the other thing is anyone's thinking about doing any of these things we've talked about, give me a ring. And I, I, I promise I won't tell you it's rubbish like, uh, Trevor did with me, but I'll, I'll um, I, you know, I, I spend loads of time talking to anyone. And the great thing about our industry is you can pass on, knowledge and and you can share everything you've learned and 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 if that helps someone on their journey brilliant you know and and i mean you send me an email if you want i mean mark at electric hyphen hair.com it's my personal email give me an email i'll answer anything you know it's it's uh keeps the world moving but anthony thank you for having me on today i promise next time i'll do shorter answers as well (laughs) I I'm thinking about this thing of you, you know, you haven't done much talking on your own podcast. Yeah, no, that's so, okay. So. I, I, it's, uh, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the purpose of it. It's not about me. It's about drawing out the best from my guests. And, you know, as you were saying about, uh, um, you know, someone said it was rubbish. Uh, don't, don't worry because <laughs> they told, they told the Beatles that they were rubbish before they got yeah, their yeah. first, their first yeah, contract. Can you, can you imagine being the guy who, who told the Beatles they were rubbish and didn't sign them? But anyway, yeah. look, we, we do need to wrap up. I will make sure that I put your Instagram details and website details in the show notes for today's podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Mark Woolley and have enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories, and don't forget to tag us in it. And also, uh, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
us. So uh, to wrap up, Mark Wally, thank you so much for being the guest on today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.